Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Took a lot to do that, didn't it? Share that was so appreciated, mate. Thank you very much, Christy. And he just, you know, when he was telling me the story, it made me think we're going to be looking at a story, and it's all about Jesus wanting us to know about his father. And whatever our earthly fathers have been like, for you know, whether they were great or absent or abusive or whatever, there's a heavenly father, and he is constantly fathering us throughout our lives. And he, it might not be in the ways that you see it, you might not see it at the time, but he fathers us. He's always doing it. And it's sometimes it's only when you look back, you go, oh, that's what he was doing at that time. And we had the reading before from Luke 11. But I'll read it anyway. Luke 11, 1 to 13. I won't read it all. I'll just have this bit. It happened that when Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, teach us to pray, they said. That's the one thing that they asked him. They didn't ask him, teach us to preach, teach us to lead, teach us to deliver demons, teach us to heal. Just teach us to pray. As that was it. They saw that. So will you ask him for that now? Why don't you just ask him for that? Because I think God's got a key for us tonight for prayer. It's a big key and it can make a huge difference in your prayer life. And if you haven't got a prayer life, you haven't got a life. You've not got life in all of its fullness. So ask him, Lord, I want to grow a prayer life. I want to grow that relationship with you, with my, my heavenly father. Because just like your first disciples saw that all of your influence and all of your power came from that relationship with your heavenly father, I need that now. Amen. So the most important thing that he wanted them to know, and the thing that if you don't get anything else from me tonight, I want us to know, is this. God is your father and he loves you. Um, when he says teach us to pray, we read the Lord's Prayer and then we finish. The teaching is not done with the prayer. That's not the end of the teaching. It, it don't stop there, you have to carry on. There's a, a parable and there's a poem. And it all is part of the teaching on prayer. So look how the lesson carries on. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he, this is the friend, answers, do not bother me. The door's already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, that's an important word that's here. That's in the NIV translation and it's a mistranslation, to be honest with you. I'm going to show you why that's very important that we get this. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to so him who knocks it will be opened. So he had a parable, that's the poem. 
Suppose one of you fathers, fathers is so important, this is all the way through this, it's all about fathers, it's all about the father. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's important to see that all of this is the answer to the question that Jesus has been asked, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord's prayer was not the end of the lesson. Don't skip the class. Because if you do, you might fail the test. What he wants us to see tonight is that prayer is all about the Father. Remember who you're talking to. Who you're talking with when you pray. God is your Father and he loves you. God is your father and he loves you. That's why Jesus teaches them then the parable, which is this one that we call, my Bible starts it off by saying, the friend at midnight. And I have to realize when I'm reading the Bible, there are some things that I need to unlearn before I can learn. There's things that I think I know that can get in the way of what God wants me to know. And we all have blind spots. The problem is we can't see them. We all have assumptions. Things that we've thought or things we've been taught. And those of us like me here, which I would imagine most of us, have got a Western mindset. And we have to be made aware that the Bible is an Eastern book. And we can miss this because of our traditional Western preaching has actually done two things with this parable, which is why we think we know it. First of all, it said that the parable is about the one asking, not the one being asked. That's not correct, I would say tonight. Secondly, because we think it's about us, Western preachers and commentators have traditionally said that the lesson of this story is be persistent in prayer. If there's no answer, just keep knocking, keep banging. Bang until your knuckles are red, raw and bleeding. If you have to, just keep knocking. Maybe eventually heaven's door will open and God will throw down an answer if you just keep on hammering. Who's heard that kind of teaching on this? Persistence. Most of us have. Some years ago, a Bible scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey went to go and spend 40 years living among Arab tribes and in the Middle Eastern context in which Jesus taught and lived in places like Israel and Lebanon and Egypt. Now, very often we can just read the Bible and we get what it says enough to be able to obey it. So I'm not trying to say here, oh, there's some really deep stuff all the time that you, you have to dig deep to get the real meaning of. Some of it is just plain. But there are some things that if we can dig in a little bit further, we're going to find some treasure in it. And I think Dr. Bailey's studies led him to some phenomenal insights that really helped me to think about prayer, which is why I brought this tonight. And also, it helps me to realise that I have glasses on. I have cultural glasses that I see things through and even read the Bible through that can make it appear different to what it actually is. So, for instance, we find out that this parable is not really about the one asking for bread. And secondly, the parable is not about persistence. Even though verse 8, in most of our translations, and if you've got your Bible open, you'll probably find that it does have some form of word that sounds like persistence, is in that verse. And the reason is we don't have a grasp on the original word or the context in which it would have been used when Jesus loved it and used it. And I, 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 like to, I like to go on and do a bit of detective work on these kind of things. Does anybody else? I do like to do a bit of that, so that's what I've been doing for much of the week. 
So let's look again at verses 5 to 7. I'll just put them up there and you can look. Now the reason I've put the question marks on the bottom of that is that because in the Greek text really all of this is actually a question. I don't know of any translation that actually brings this out. They just start off with suppose or imagine, that kind of thing. I'm going to tell you a story. But it's literally, it starts really, which of you? Which of you, Jesus is saying, at midnight, if you had an unexpected guest and you needed food for the guest, would, and you go to a friend and ask for three loaves of bread, would ever be told to just go away? Which of you would that ever happen to? He's, he's, he's basically saying, can you imagine in your village, on your street, that that would ever happen? Mr. A receives a surprise guest, goes down to Mr. B down the road and asks for three loaves, and Mr. B says, uh-uh, sorry, can't come in, I'm busy looking after the kids. Can you imagine that? Now, we are 21st century Westerners, if we are, and if Jesus asks us the question, we're going to think, well, an Englishman's home is his castle. And it's 12 o'clock. And it's quite reasonable to shout out of the window, go away, I'm calling the police. Release the hounds. But culturally, in that place, even now, but certainly at that time, the answer is, are you kidding? That would never happen. That could never happen. How could, how could anybody, how could he just roll over? How could he not be hospitable? How could he not be helpful? How could he do something so shameful? See, in the West, we can easily imagine somebody saying, well, go away, I'm busy. Or, this is a bad time. But in the Middle East, to send him away empty, to send him away empty-handed would be ridiculous. You couldn't even conceive of that. Ask the same question in Jordan or Jerusalem, in Lebanon or in Israel, in many nations across Africa and Asia and Arabia. It's culturally impossible that the person in the house would not help. Anyone seen the movie Lone Survivor? Mark Wahlberg. It's a bit of a good movie. It's my kind of a film. To be honest with you, Afghanistan, Navy SEALs, true story. He ends up, he's got all the Taliban after him and he's like been shot and he, he, gets, he, go, he finds himself in this village and they drag him into this hut and then the villagers end up looking after him and fighting the Taliban to stop them getting him. Why? Because he's come under their roof. Because now, like, hospitality rules kick in. You have to look after the person who's come under your roof. You've got a duty of care. See, we have a totally different mindset. In the West, the way in which we've been thought up, most of us in which we've been brought up to think, we traditionally thought about good and bad. I've got a picture of this. Right and wrong. And we thought about this in terms of guilt and innocence. This is from a, a conference a few years ago, the Lausanne World Evangelization Conference, where they looked at how the gospel works in different nations and how it maybe doesn't work in some and why that is. And what this says is that there's huge parts of the world that have a different mindset to us because we have this guilt-innocence framework, that's the blue one. 
That's judged by law or by your emotions and your individual conscience. It's about whether you do certain bad things. And traditional evangelism has focused on this for centuries. The message is this, we are all sinners and we all sin and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we've done wrong and we can have lists of wrongs. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price for our sins so that they can be all forgiven. It's a kind of, it's, it's, and guess what, it's true. And it's amazing. And it's the gospel. And it's beautiful. It's fantastic. And I love it. And that is the truth. But it's not the whole truth. The good news is that the gospel is even bigger and better than that. It's good news for everybody. So there are some parts of the world, the green ones there, that would be what they call fear cultures. And very often this is to do with spiritualism and, and kind of animism and, and, uh, and, and the idea that there's spirits and rituals and... And, you know, there's, there's like evil spirits. There is a gospel for them. Jesus Christ is Lord. Is the gospel for them. That there's no competition. That there, he, he rules the kingdom of lightness, light and, and he beats the dominion of darkness. That's, that's the, the, the gospel for, for such people. His perfect love casts out all fear. But for 65 to 80% of the unreached world right now, the Eastern mind, and by the way, this is taking over here now in our nation, in our culture, as nations spread, and especially as younger people interact through social media, for example, it's an honour-shame culture. That means good or bad is judged according to what the community think, according to what the public says around you. People are shamed because they do not fulfil the expectations of the communities. It's collective, it's not individual. It's about the society around you, whether it embraces you or excludes you. And the worst thing that can happen is that you would ever do something that would bring disgrace upon yourself or upon your community. Now this mindset difference is really important to understand if we're going to be and bring good news to our world and even to our own culture and the person at work that you're working with who's perhaps from a different nation or mindset as well. The Bible, the good news is, was written to and into and from an honour-shame culture. It's not a Western book, really, so it will work for everybody in every culture and every nation. It's still good news for everybody, but we have to reread it. And actually, I'd encourage you this week, just as you're reading your Bible, and I encourage you to read your Bible... Reread it for yourself with different lenses on and just start looking for, just see how, how the kingdom of God is all about honour. How it's all about glory. How it's all about blessings and God exalts the humble and honour is built on hospitality. And the avoidance of shame. Jesus got in so much trouble because he brought people who were outsiders in because he went to people that society said should be outcasts and he ate with them. And that was shocking that he would do that because they knew meals affirm status in community and welcome and who was in and who was out. See, different nations have different ideas around culture. I'm privileged to, over the last few years to get to know some great friends through the Redeemed Christian Church of God. And sometimes I go there and pray in those kind of Nigerian settings. You just try and go there and not be honoured. It ain't going to happen. 
You know, you can't, I can't carry my Bible when I go there. It's like somebody will come along and I'm like, give me a Bible back. And it's like, no, I've got to, I've got to carry your Bible. It's like, you know, and there's, and there's like honour. And it, it's like, oh, it freaks me out a little bit. But it's cultural. And actually, maybe it's more kingdom than we are. Now, when we think about the Bible again from this viewpoint, look at the parable again and, and, and see this working out a little bit differently to what we might have thought. It can open up prayer, I believe, in a new way for some of us, which is why I'm glad that Jesus taught us this lesson on prayer. For instance, to avoid shame, the host must place before the guest not just enough, but more than they can eat. Abundance. I've been to some really poor places, some really poor parts of the world, places where they're used to doing without, but I never do without. They won't let that happen. You walk into the Kibera slum, you go in to a, a tiny little church, like a hut next to an open sewer, and you go in, and there's this food that's spread out there before it, and I'm thinking this must be for the whole church, but no, it's just for a few of us, because they've got to give you more than enough. It's honour. By the way, how many basketfuls left over when Jesus fed the 5,000? 12. Why? Because he's glorious. What did he do with the, with the... How much wine did he make at Cana? More than enough. And it says, and this was the first time that the disciples saw his glory. They saw his glory. By what he did. Another thing about how community works in these cultures is that the unexpected guest who arrived at Mr. A's house is not just his guest, but is the guest of the whole village. They don't just think me, they think we. That's community. So this is our problem. Somebody's come to your house, how do we provide the answer, the meal? Everybody is obliged to help Mr. A take care of his guest Kenneth Bailey says when he visited a Bedouin they would tell him a phrase which basically meant you have honoured our village by coming to my house another important detail is that the man asking for three loaves of bread isn't asking for the meal just the utensils to eat it with the main meal would be a bowl of stew and you would get like bits of pita bread and dip it in and eat the bread with the stew on it. The bread was not the meal. It was just part of the meal. It was the thing that you used to eat the meal with. Three pieces would be exactly what one person needed to eat a meal with. So he's not asking for anything for himself. He's only asking for his guest. In those days, nobody stockpiled food. They didn't have fridges. I shouldn't need to say that. <laughs> you know who baked what on what day and when in the village and so you'd go to the one who'd bake the bread and maybe they'd have a bit of extra and somebody else had the carrots and somebody else had the cheese and so on nobody had everything but everybody mucked in so everybody could have something it still works like this in these places notice too that Mr A as I say is not asking for anything for himself it's all for his guest he will have eaten already it's 12 o'clock at midnight he's already eaten but there are no Tesco's he needs to go to Mr. C and Mrs. D and Mr. F and go around to all of their houses. Cucumbers at number seven, olives at number 10. 
house to house. He goes around the village and he borrows. Because remember when, when, when dad read it, to us, read it to us, he said, can you lend me some bread? It's like, because I'll pay you back. And so he'll go to one place and he'll get the best pitcher for the wine and, and somewhere else he'll get the, the goblet and somebody else he'll get a tray from. And everybody gives what they've got to be able to help. That's why in verse 8 you have this phrase, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is talking about the sleepy neighbour. He knows he has a meal to make, so he's going to give everything and anything else that he's got to be able to help him, to be able to make the meal a success. He knows the expectation is on him to provide for Mr A. And he also knows the shame that would fall on him if he didn't. So remember, all of this is part of Jesus teaching them to pray. Jesus is asking his disciples an obvious question, expecting a negative answer. I'm going to ask the same question to you now. Imagine you're them. Knowing what you now know, okay? Can you ever imagine having a guest arrive at any time of the night and you go to a neighbour for help can you imagine that neighbour ever saying to you, I'm sorry, I can't give you what you need, go away. Can you ever imagine that? No. Four people. Can you ever imagine it? No. no, it would be unimaginable. It would be inexcusable. It would be ridiculous. Why not? Not because you persisted. Not because you knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. That's just annoying. Not because you wore him down and woke up his kids. We have to unlearn a misunderstanding of a particular word that's in verse 8. It's up there. In, it's, it's the Aramaic words that are translated into Greek. It's anadian. This is the only time this word appears in the whole of the Bible. Just this one time. Most of our translations, if you read them, are going to say persistence because of his audacity. Or even his shameless audacity, I think it was in the NIV. Or because of his boldness. But guess what? That all depends on me then. The praying is all about me. If I can just knock it loud enough, if I can shout loud enough, if I can cry hard enough, if I can be, get, somehow get desperation going enough, then I'll shake some blessing out of heaven. I don't think it is about that. It doesn't even mean that. It actually means, according to this guy Kenneth Bailey, from all of his years living in such cultures, it basically means to avoid shame. He will give you what you need. Not because of your persistence. Not even because of your need. It's not about your need. Not because some law has been written that says he has to give it to you. But because of his honour. Because of his reputation. Because of his good name. See, remember, even if we think it's fine and completely reasonable to say, not tonight, thanks. In Jesus' day, in his time, in that place, the culture of honour was so important, so huge. And dishonour would be unthinkable. It's about not losing face. It's about not damaging your reputation or that of your family. Anadian means avoidance of shame. You do anything not to bring shame to your people, to your village, to your nation. See, our Greek, our Greek individualistic mindsets struggle around this concept. And that's why we think that the parable is about the man who's asking for the bread. 
It's not. It's a lesson on prayer from Jesus about who God is and who you're talking to and who you're talking with when you pray. Jesus is saying, your heavenly father has anadian. He cares deeply about the honour of his name. Psalm 138 says, you have exalted your name and your promise above all things. Remember that when you pray. When you pray, say, our Father, not just my Father. Verse 8 says, because of his Arnadian, to avoid shame, he will get up and give him everything as much as he needs. Again, this is not a story that's saying pray and bang away at heaven's door. Not that, you, not that there isn't time for us to keep on praying, but, but he's saying that isn't like what works. It's not like you've got to pray valiantly and keep on going and wear down the man upstairs who reluctantly one day might send an angel out and then he can get back to sleep. Or that he's got some kids that he cares about that are in bed with him, but he doesn't care about you. That's not, that totally misses the point. How would that story ever encourage anybody to pray? I don't know. Jesus is teaching us to pray here. Don't focus on the man knocking. Focus on the one being asked and learn the lesson. Jesus is saying, remember to the people who first heard it, of course, you will all know. He'll give him everything that he needs because his honour is at stake. He doesn't want the story to go around the next morning. Oh, that's the guy. He's the one, when other people needed help, he stayed in bed with his kids and didn't bother helping. Shame on him. Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? Jesus wants us to come to our Father when we pray. Listen, God is your Father and he loves you. So he teaches a prayer and a parable and a poem. So we'll know. Now holding that in mind, what we've unlearned, can we link that back to the prayer? What our rabbi has been teaching us in the parable can help us with the prayer. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, that's why I'm coming when you pray. Lord, this is why I'm here. I'm coming, I'm talking to you so your name may be honoured, so that you can be exalted and you can be glorified. So I'm going to worship you whatever happens, but I'm also going to present my requests before you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask big, and I'm going to ask with confidence. I'm going to expect miracles. I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do for the glory of your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. For the glory of your name. God the Father has anadia. So you can know, you can pray, and the Heavenly Father will always act, will always answer in ways that honour his name. Not always the way I might think it, because I could have a plan of a story, but like Christy could look at his life and could end up, well, when I prayed, I thought this would happen and this would happen. We've all done this. But then you look back and you see God was answering in different ways. And aren't we glad sometimes that he did? The Father will never shame his name. So you can pray, 
Give us this day our daily bread. Midnight, morning, bread. <laughs> he'll always answer. And he'll answer in ways that hallow and honour his name. Moses knew this. That's why he, he was the one who spoke to God face to face. That's why in Exodus 32, after the people prostituted themselves with the golden calf, and, and the Lord hates rebellion, so he says, I've had it with these people, I'm just going to wipe them out now. This is what happened in verse 11. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your anger. Do not bring disaster on your people. Then the Lord relented and did not bring upon his people the disaster he threatened. What an incredible prayer. This is like praying for nations. This is a key, by the way, about how to pray for nations. This is about how to get our prayers bigger than just, oh Lord, would you please bless me and my little family? This is hefty prayer. This is nation-shaping, history-defining, redefining kinds of prayer. When we're not just praying because I have a need, but we're praying because God must be glorified. Psalm 106 says Moses stood in the breach. This is intercession. An intercession based on the honour of the Lord. He's like, what would the Egyptians say? It's like, what would the neighbours think, Lord? If you just wiped all these people out. You know, that gives me a clue how we can pray for Great Britain. How I can pray for, for great big stuff. How we can pray for a cure to be found for this coronavirus by a Christian, by the way, if it's going to be found by anybody. Please, Lord, so you get even more glory. We can pray big ask prayers, can't we? David prays in Psalm 25, for your name's sake, Lord, pardon my iniquity. Why pardon my sins? To bring glory to your name. Psalm 23, he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Why does God guide me? Why does he provide for me? Why does he, he guard me? To bring glory to his name. This week, when you read your Bibles, just look out for this kind of phrase. I tell you, it's just about on every page, there's some kind of thing that's going on like this. God is very into the glory of his name. He's very concerned about his name. I just got a new watch yesterday. It's a nice one. It's got the name on it of the manufacturer. Which means, if anything goes wrong with it, in the next few years, what can I do? It Send it back. Why? It's got their name on it. I can say, I can appeal to the name. It's got a warranty. I already went online and started it. <laughs> no, it's not, like, it's not quite that good. See, the manufacturer, it's very important to the manufacturer his name. If it goes wrong, I can appeal to him to fix it. That's good, isn't it? Every manufacturer is concerned about their name. They guarantee what they've put their name on. So we're going to get ready to worship in a minute and as we, before we're done. But before you leave tonight, I want to challenge you. We said when we were praying before, 
what, what these nights are about really, more than anything for me, is I want, I want to build faith. I want to build faith across our church that we can do some big asks. That we can ask God for some real, only God kind of miracle. So what does that mean for you? What is, this, what is there that you, isn't something you could do it with a bit of help from God? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not a big enough ask. I'm asking about you to ask, what's a... <gasps> a friend of ours in Africa, Oscar Murray, says a prayer that makes God sweat. <laughs> makes him like, ooh, <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> ask. Verse 9, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Not because you've got to wear him down. Ask because your father loves you. Seek because he's your father. He wants to show you. Knock because he's waiting to open a door and he loves you. It's all in the present tense. Some of you have heard it says, it means keep on asking, keep on seeking. That isn't like because you've got to wear him down. It basically means something always happens when you pray. Because receive and find are in the present tense too. So while you're asking, you're receiving. While you're seeking, you are finding. It's happening at the same time. So don't stop. God is your father and he loves you. Are you ready to make that personal? Yes. Please stand if you're able. Put your hands on your heart. Band are going to come up. Declare the truth. God is my father and he loves me. Some people, it's a big thing tonight to do this, but it changes everything. And I'm praying for healing to come to hurting hearts. And we're just going to let the Bible loose one more time in a minute to be able to break off anything. If you've had an earthly father that has not demonstrated the love of your heavenly father, you know, ask for healing to come for that to your heart so you'll be able to see all the ways that your Heavenly Father has fathered you throughout the whole of your life so far anyway because he's always loved you. So say it again. God is my Father. And he loves me. You might not have known who your earthly father is. God is my Father. And he loves me. Say it. God is my Father and he loves me. You know, Jesus said, didn't he? If... Earthly fathers can do some shameful things. Things that if we heard an earthly father did them to his children, we would think that was shameful, that you would ask for something good and get something nasty or something hurtful or harmful. Some earthly dads even do that. Your heavenly father would never do that. He is your father. He is your real father. And he really loves you. Jesus came to tell you that. If you don't believe me, believe him. God is your father. And he loves you. When you wake up in the morning, first thought, let the Holy Spirit remind you. God is my father. And he really loves me. So we're going to sing. And before you go, I wonder if there's, a, there's something you've even been afraid to ask because it seems so big. I think God would prefer it 
if we if we asked if we, if we were more afraid of asking for something too small than of asking for something too big he's that kind of a father because he can handle that if it's too big he can handle that so go big multiply it you know it might, might be more than three loaves could be you need the other stuff for the meal could be something else could be something you've like oh, I couldn't really ask God for that ask and you will receive seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you and what have you got to lose because verse 13 says this Jesus says this will not the father give the Holy Spirit to who? to the one asking so when you're asking he's giving anyway Giving the Holy Spirit. So hold your hands out, receive. Mother Teresa said, When we pray, we are expanding our capacity to receive. Lord, expand our capacity to receive from you, to believe how good you are, how wonderful you are. And Lord, we can't lose because when we're asking, we are receiving and you're sending your Holy Spirit to us now. Can you imagine? Mr. A goes to Mr. B for a few loaves of bread and he turns him away. Can you imagine that? No. Not at all. Bonkers. Can you imagine going to the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father who loves you, in the name of his son and asking asking for that miracle asking for that help for you or for somebody else asking for more of the Holy Spirit and being told no can you imagine that? no impossible can't comprehend that Lord thank you that you will give us what we need as much as you as you've got to give us Lord we want it all and we want your glory to increase in our lives so we're praying these things for your glory and for the glory of your name Amen I challenge you tonight we've got some some cards over by the cross and before you go if you want to to go over there and, and pray and if you've received healing tonight um, please come and tell us especially tell Tina and Dan so we can take, take a note of that and give glory to the name of Jesus and the name of our Heavenly Father for doing it so we're going to sing one more time and that's the time as well during that time go and write your big ask prayer put it over there by the, by the foot of the cross something only God can do Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.